grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. The voice of the Holy One thunders over the waters, his humming in Jesus, and is whispered by the Spirit. Let us pray that we might hear God's voice. Pour out your Holy Spirit, O God, and prepare our hearts to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. A reading from the Psalms. Praise the Holy One, because it is good to sing praise to our God, because it is a pleasure to make beautiful praise. The Holy One rebuilds Jerusalem giving each one a name. Our sovereign is great and so strong. God's knowledge can't be grasped. The Holy One helps the poor, but throws the wicked down on the dirt. Sing to the Holy One with thanks. Praises to our God with a lyre. God covers the skies with clouds. God makes rain for the earth. God makes the mountains sprout green grass. God gives food to the animals, even to the baby ravens when they cry out. God doesn't prize the strength of a horse. God doesn't treasure the legs of a runner. No, the Holy One treasures those who worship with reverence, the people who wait for God's faithful love. God proclaims the word to Jacob, statutes and rules to Israel. God hasn't done that with any other nation. Those nations have no knowledge of God's rules. Praise the Holy One. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus and his followers went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and started teaching. The people were amazed by his teaching, for he was teaching them with authority, not like the Torah experts. Suddenly, there in the synagogue, a person with an evil spirit screamed, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One from God. 
silence. Jesus said, speaking harshly to the demon, come out of him. The unclean spirit took him and screamed, then it came out. Everyone was shaken and questioned among themselves, what's this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands unclean spirits and they obey him. Right away, the news about Jesus spread throughout the entire region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The guard didn't stand a chance. The nine thieves had poisoned the watchdog, had ambushed him and tied him up. In the early hours of March 5th, 1854, they escaped with a block of marble donated for the Washington Monument. But these thieves weren't interested in a souvenir from this national building project. They had a specific stone in mind, one inscribed from Rome to America. For a while, you see, some unknowable percentage of the American public was convinced that the Catholic Church would be its ruin, that the Republic, founded in no small part on religious tolerance, was extending too much freedom to those Catholics, that is, to the Irish and German immigrants who belonged to that church. An unknowable percentage, because they wanted it that way. Organizers of anti-Catholic clubs told their members, if anyone asks you what you know about the movement, you just say, I know nothing. Know nothing. The name stuck. When know nothings read that the Vatican had joined the ranks of the city of Nashville, and the nation of France in donating a block of marble for the Washington Monument, they were outraged. More than outraged, they became obsessed. Know-nothings began to circulate conspiracies that the stone was a signal meant to inspire hordes of Catholic immigrants to rise up against the government. That's why the watchdog was poisoned and the guard tied up. That's why the block of marble quarried from an ancient Roman temple to the goddess of harmony wound up in the Potomac River instead of in the obelisk that honors the first president of these United States. Destroy or be destroyed. That all or nothing mindset is hardly unique to the 19th century or to the United States. 
we can hear it clanging in the voice of the evil spirit as it confronts Jesus. Have you come to destroy us? Us. This demonic spirit doesn't act alone. There are many others like it, minions of the tempter exploiting wounded communities. It's become fashionable in some circles to say that demons are the spiritual manifestation of hostile individuals. Like the Torah experts that the gospel writer insults as teaching without authority. But not only is that not biblical, it plays right into the demonic patterns of destruction and division. The know-nothings thought that Catholics were evil. And today we would be quick to demonize anyone who discriminated against our Irish or Italian great-grandparents. But folks from Capernaum would point out that people aren't demons. Demons possess people. They'd say evil is exceptionally talented at exploiting our fears and insecurities, infiltrating our souls, and robbing our senses. So no wonder Everyday people get swept up in atrocities like genocide. No wonder it's so easy to use differences as an excuse to strip others of their humanity. The prevailing sentiment about demons in the Bible isn't the devil made me do it. No, it's more like when we harm each other. The forces of evil take that as an invitation to creep into the cracks of our communal brokenness. That possessed individual worshiping on the Sabbath is just a visible crack, a reminder that even on this sacred day of rest, evil is at work. Listen again to that scream that tears through his throat. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The evil spirit knows this man who teaches with authority as if the Torah's wisdom and justice has seeped into his every pore. This man is the Holy One from God. And surely God's holy messenger means to destroy demons. That's what this spirit assumes and what I assume too. In fact, I am happy to answer for Jesus. Yes, the Savior has come to end you. And I'm eager to join in because I am so fed up with tiresome things in this world, brutality, war, poverty. Now, Jesus, if you don't mind, 
I have prepared a list of all of the dirty, rotten systems I'd like to tear down after we deal with this synagogue demon, of course. Destruction is easy. Just ask anyone who's regretted a split second decision. Destruction is easy. Building is harder. Replacing things that don't work from problematic laws to leaky roofs, that's trickier still. That's why we put a bucket under the leak and keep the laws on the books year after year. Anger might flare up for an instant, but avoiding the harm, not dealing with the hurt, that is the most threatening kind of destruction. That's the kind of brokenness demons love to inhabit. Jesus doesn't avoid evil, but neither does he engage with it on its own terms. He doesn't answer the demon's question, doesn't confirm whether anything it is uttered is true. Instead, Jesus commands, come out of him. And that aligns with what the gospel story tells us. When Jesus arrived in the synagogue, he made a beeline for the bima. Immediately, he started teaching the Torah, preaching the creator's goodness, the liberating power of the redeemer, the faithfulness of the covenant maker. Maybe Jesus even slipped into song, chanting the 147th song, the Holy One rebuilds Jerusalem, gathering up Israel's exiles. God heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. God counts the stars by number, giving each one a name. The Holy One helps the poor, but throws the wicked down on the dirt. God proclaims the word to Jacob, statutes and rules to Israel. God hasn't done that with any other nation. Those nations have no knowledge of God's rules. Oh, these words make the forces of evil shake and scream. They depend, demons, on relationships where wounds and suspicion props up hatred and violence. Healing the broken hearted and helping the poor is an indignity to demons. The words of justice and mercy found in the Torah, those are fighting words. But Jesus hasn't come to fight. Demons don't determine his priority. Jesus' priorities align with the one whose love burns in his chest to heal, to guide, to make God's kingdom dream come true, not just for some, but for the whole world. 
And just as God's healing builds up the whole nation, Jesus's healing always restores communities. The synagogue congregation can now worship with renewed trust in God's goodness. Uh, later, practically everyone in town will bring their sick family members to Jesus. Jesus's healing restores communities then and now. From the very beginning, followers of Jesus claimed this as one of God's promises made in the waters of baptism. Joined to Christ in these waters, we need not fear the scream of demons that try to drown out scripture's story of God's love supreme. The Holy One is ready to speak peace to our anxieties and bandage our wounds, silencing any voice that would insist, we're fine, really. It's those people who are the problem. Made all by the Holy One. We can't keep those blessings to ourselves. God's goodness overflows into the world, the psalmist says, and we get to pass along God's gifts to others. In fact, Psalm 147 inspired the title for a book about that very calling, Lois Lowry's novel for young readers. Number the stars. The novel follows 10-year-old Anna Maria Johansson as she helps her best friend, Ellen Rosen, escape Nazi-occupied Denmark in 1943. That year, on Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the high holidays, the Jewish citizens of Copenhagen were warned that the occupying forces would soon forcibly remove them from their homes. Most Jews hid with their Christian neighbors. And in the following weeks, almost the entire Jewish population of Denmark, nearly 7,000 people were smuggled across the sea to Sweden. Anna Maria's and Ellen's journey takes them to the seaside cabin of Uncle Henrik, who promised to hide Ellen's family and other Jewish refugees in his fishing boat. After Nazi soldiers come perilously close to discovering the plan, one of the organizers of the escape reaches for the family Bible draw some comfort from its pages. And he lights upon what else? Psalm 147. Lowry narrates the scene this way. Mama sat down and listened. Anna Maria could see the old man across the room, moving his lips as Peter read. He knew the ancient psalm by heart. Anna Maria didn't. The words were unfamiliar to her, and she tried to listen, tried to understand, tried to 
forget the war and the Nazis, tried not to cry, tried to be brave. The night breeze moved the dark curtains at the open windows. Outside, she knew, the sky was speckled with stars. How could anyone number them one by one? As the psalm said, there were too many. The sky was too big. The one who is able to number the stars knows how immense our planet's pain is and how deeply evil digs its talons into our wounds. The one who hears the baby ravens cry out for food also calls us to break bread with the beloved world in small children trying to be brave, in adults trying to be brave. Jesus reaches out in the power of the spirit saying, do not be afraid. My grace is sufficient for you. For such grace that makes us whole and heals the world, let us give all glory and gratitude to God, source of our calling, spirit of power, savior of the world. Amen.